Hey y'all, welcome to Southern Fried Spooky, the podcast home of all things Southern, Spooky, and Macabre. I'm your Carolina girl, Heather, with and, a strange French accent. And I'm your Florida man with a Florida accent. Florida accent. <laughs> We'd like to invite you to mosey on up here to our socials. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon. Patreon. It's going to be a song soon. And eventually, we are going to be doing YouTube. As a note, we are just amused because we were just listening to some of our... Well, let's see. We tried our listening to our first, first episode. Our very first episode. Yeah, you could tell we were a bit nervous and kind of still reading the script a little carefully. It was rather funny. Who are those people? <laughs> that was us a year ago. My goodness. <laughs> So this week, mm-hmm. we are looking at the curious double life, if you can call it that, of Hazel Ferris, part living outlaw and part display mummy. Mm. Once again, this may be real or a complete fabrication, but there's enough out there to at least warrant a good discussion. Indeed. So, so. the history. Oh, here we go. So Hazel Ferris mm-hmm. was born in Kentucky in 1880, and the most I found it was that it was just said she was orphaned as a child. Her parents are not named. We don't know what happened to them. Just within one sentence, they came and went. <laughs> so she became Batman. And practically. Mm-hmm. There's not much said about her early life or that she had a tendency to wear bat-shaped capes, but um, she eventually married and lived near Louisville with her husband, who also is not named. He, I guess, is not that important in this story. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've looked in a couple of places, and all they say is her husband. I mean, I guess he's Mr. Ferris. That's all we we know. And accounts about their actual marriage vary. Some accounts claim neighbors said the couple were both hard drinkers who fought violently. Like each other, or like roving bands of minstrels? Like, <laughs> like, like, who did they fight? I think each other. <laughs> it was like somebody screaming Mortal Kombat in the background, and they're like fighting back to back while ninjas attack them. Like, that's I mean, an image. I'm just curious. I think it's each other. Phrasing! Phrase. I know, and the history that I found, the research I did. It was a little vague. Yeah. While other accounts claim that the couple mostly lived a quiet life and only fought about Ferris's spendthrift ways when her husband was drunk. And no ninjas. Uh, yeah, there is a distinct lack of ninjas in that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, most of this, it's very short because what happened to her after her death is apparently far more interesting. Isn't that usually the case? Or at least with us. Well, yeah, with us. Like with most people, once their lives are over, they're over. But this is, this is kind of fun in our sick kind of way yeah so according to folklore yeah and i guess some level of documentation on august 6th so they're very specific 1905 hazel's retail therapy reached a new level the couple had an argument over her desire to buy a new hat Like, she's just like, you know what, honey, I want to buy a new hat. And all of a sudden, the entire store breaks into sectarian violence. People are throwing each other across the room. Well, apparently they were still at home when they were having this discussion. But the argument did lead to violence. And, again, it's a little vague on the details, but she ended up fatally shooting her husband. Fatality. He died on the floor of the living room. (laughs) The unnamed husband. The unnamed husband. Now, neighbors... Okay, well, this is two options. Neighbors yeah. summoned the police after hearing the ruckus, but another report suggested that the police just 
happened to be walking by conveniently. <laughs> 1905, you got that one guy who, like, you know how they used to have the phones on the poles yeah. and the police would check in, so he's twirling his baton, like, <laughs> circa um, the Marx Brothers. Oh, yes, and, yes. And, sort of you Groucho-esque. Know, he just kind of walks over and it's like, yes, this is 395, 395, everything seems to hold on, the Ferris family are attacking each other. <laughs> And look out for Adolf Hitler. He's a bad egg. Okay, well, in Kentucky, I don't think they would quite sound that transatlantic. But it's a, for all I know, they could be the stereotypical Irish police. Yeah. I don't know. So anyway. Oh, what you be beating your eye for? We're coming down to the station, you and I. We're going to put you in the clink. Sorry for anybody in Ireland who is listening to this. I apologize. Boondock Saints is not necessarily a good reference. Right. Upon arriving, the three responding officers were also promptly shot <laughs> by Hazel Ferris. Now, a, I mean, this is apparently is just a very busy route for police officers. A passing deputy sheriff heard the commotion. He decided to investigate. Upon entering the Ferris home, the deputy attempted to restrain Hazel. During- After she'd shot her husband and two other cops? Three. Three. Oh. She's up to four at this point. During the scuffle, he tripped on Mr. Ferris's body, and apparently his weapon accidentally went off and shot off, <laughs> I'm sorry, shot off Hazel's right ring finger in the process. That's some foreshadowing right there. Yeah, maybe. She eventually broke free, and guess what she did to the deputy? I'm assuming she didn't bake him cookies. No. Or complain about not getting a new hat. Well, she might have, but she fatally shot him, too. All I can say is this must have been a really amazing hat. Oh my god. Yeah. So, she had an interesting day coping with her retail rage, I guess. So she fled from Kentucky, because I guess she realized after four cops had come after her, maybe she should beat feet a little bit. So after she has executed her husband, four other police officers, she's now like, she's then like, okay, now I need to go. Yeah. I kind of want to know if she actually went and bought that. Wow. <laughs> she fled from Kentucky and eventually settled in Bessemer, Alabama to begin a new life. Albeit, apparently, she didn't change her name. There was a $500 reward issued for her capture. Mm-hmm. Now, here again, accounts are a little iffy. <laughs> this is about the whole story. <laughs> right? The only thing they seem to be sure of is that she shot five men. So, either she passed herself off as a school marm and drank on the sly or she she passed herself off and worked as a prostitute in either case she continued to use her married name in her adopted home which was a rough town with a reputation for a vice and violence which seems like just the right place for her so, so prostitute school marm i mean those are very disparate occupations to be not sure of anyway so she's a prostamarm <laughs> She begins a relationship with yet another unnamed man. She has a type, apparently. Wow. But by some accounts, he might have been a police officer. So they became engaged... To a police officer. Yes. Well, allegedly. Possibly. Okay. We're not sure. But it worth... They mentioned it, so maybe he was. I don't know. The research is really spot on on this one. Gotcha. She decided to either confess to her fiancé... Or began drinking and just kind of spilled that she was wanted for murder. Now the man, devoted and romantic, 
promptly turned her in. Wouldn't you? Well, I'm not sure if it was his devotion to the law or the $500. Oh. So, allegedly, on December 20th, 1906, I mean, again, we have a a specific date. So she's 26 years old at this point. She, I think so. She was born in 1880. Okay. It is 1906, 26 years. Thank you for doing the math. I'm not good at that. But before she could be captured, she took to her room where she began or continued drinking. She committed suicide by drinking a mixer which, depending on the source, consisted of some combination of whiskey, arsenic, strychnine, and gasoline. <laughs> so not only was she volatile, she was explosive. Apparently. Wow. She was volatile. Yeah. <laughs> Both ways. Okay, so she's had a bit of an interesting life, at least the last little bit of it. And which we, it's all up in the air at this point. I yeah. think that's why I'm joking. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. like when it comes to certain things, I won't joke about. But when it's like, we think, it's like, oh, yeah, the jokes are going to fly. <laughs> so there's a little bit more records on this. Yeah. Her body was taken to Adams, no relation to myself, Vermilion Furniture. What? Which one might expect made furniture. It also, as one might not expect, sold caskets and functioned as a funeral parlor. I guess that was a thing they did back then. Oh, bodies in the back. <laughs> it just put her in amongst the sofas. Okay, here's where we're going to circle back a little bit, though most accounts refer to her as an orphan. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, one informant claimed that her father... A partner in a 3rd Avenue furniture store, maybe he heard about it through the furniture grapevine, had taken Hazel's corpse and immediately notified her mother in Kentucky. The mother wrote back asking that he not bury her as she would come to claim the body. Okay, in early 1900s, that sounds a little gross. Right. Oh, she keep in never... mind, early 1900s, they still had, I forget what they call them, dead parlors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The rooms where parlors. they would sit the bodies up and you would take pictures of oh, them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By today's standards, that's a little squeamy. Well, there's, again, a reason why we have something called a living room. As opposed to the dead room. Yes. I don't, I don't know if that's what they called it, but, yeah, the dead viewing room. Mm-hmm. So, anyway... The mother never did appear, however. Um, apparently the father was not particularly cooperative, and the mother had no money. So, nobody else showed up to claim her. So whether that's true or not, she's still in the furniture store. And to her caretaker's surprise, Hazel's body did not start to decay in the usual manner. Possibly because of her cocktail. I was about to say, because of all the stuff she drank, yeah. I don't know. But instead, she dried to a taut skin skeletal 37-pound mummy... Apparently, they actually weighed her. Well, yeah. Human skeleton really doesn't weigh that much. I just think it's interesting that that of all the details in her life, we know that. But because of her notoriety and the novelty of her preservation, the furniture dealer struck upon the idea of charging the curious people a dime to come see her and propped her against a wall in the back of the store. Now, following that... The Adams Brothers of no Tuscaloosa. Relation. I, not to me, but I'm not sure if they're at, related to the Adams Vermilia Furniture. Mm. Um, the Adams Brothers of Tuscaloosa owned her. Yeah. And then a man, which can we just talk about the fact that now that she's not alive anymore, they can own her? Right. But, okay. A man named O.C. Brooks acquired her in 1907, so she, it hadn't been that long. That's and, a year later. Yeah. He envisioned this, strapped her corpse to the sideboard of a Model T and traveled the country. Can you imagine passing that on the road, like if today's day with dash cams and such, and be like, what was that? 
I'm suddenly envisioning like Granny Clampett sitting on top <laughs> of, or the aunt from Family Vacation on the top of the car. Well, I was thinking of like it's that viral picture of someone who's got luggage kind of on this back of the car rack, and they're and it looks suspiciously human, and they're like, "This is not Aunt Edna." <laughs> not Aunt Edna. Yes. Um. Well, so Hazel the Mummy reportedly grossed one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a week. Well, back in nineteen oh seven, that's quite a bit of money during the Great Depression, and eventually he. She earned a, a more luxurious ride in a on the sideboard, I guess, of a 1931 Oldsmobile. Brooks continued to exhibit her in the open air for 40 years. He printed handbills in which he claimed that the body was exhibited for the benefit of science. For science! And offered a $500 reward to anyone who could demonstrate that the body was not genuine. And I mean, to be honest, a lot of those bodies were sometimes not, but... This one was. Well, we're also talking about a society that would have mummy unwrapping parties. That well, was more Victorian, but yeah, the the, the oh, they were still doing it in the yeah, early nineteen yeah, okay, hundreds. I mean, I, one of the ones I would love to do was Elmer McCurdy. Another, but he, he doesn't fall into our realm of the South. But he's another outlaw whose body went unclaimed, and he ended up being passed around through sideshows, and ended up on the set of the Six Million Dollar Man. They thought he was. A mannequin and discovered when they pulled his arm off by accident that he was a person. And there are conflicting reports that Billy the Kid's body ended up in a sideshow. Oh, that would be and interesting. it was they thought it was like, like a prop a prop until his head fell off. Oops. And then it was like, um, he's not wired and he has real bones. Creepy. Yeah. So yeah. Um Apparently, a lot of bodies ended up that way. Yeah, th- I mean, I guess for the time, it is not unusual, yeah. but kind of weird. Then... <laughs> There's like, what I'm curious about is the whole body thing of people like, oh, now that they're dead, we can claim their body. Is there some sort of, like, maritime law on bodies? I don't know. I don't know how that works. You would think that someone would will that, but if they weren't big on paperwork back then... I- Which I don't know. was wanted for killing five men, so I don't think... Any kind of will struck would actually be notarized. Yeah, I don't know. So Mr. Brooks also started a rumor that um, rubbing the mummy's hand brought good luck. That can't have been good for her. So Brooks offered the opportunity to his patrons to touch her for an extra charge of 25 cents. You know, up from a dime. Yeah. Now, shortly after World War II, Brooks and Hazel even toured Europe where she was displayed before royal audiences. I am not sure which ones. I found a picture where next to her desiccated self is a banner claiming her to be the only human mummy currently in existence, which is obviously not, not true. true. Not true. It's like, have you been to Cairo? Um, any museum ever? I don't know. What an odd claim to make. Right? She's probably the only one riding around on the sideboard of a car. She, she's the only one who has a driver's license, but yeah. <laughs> Well, at least as a permanent passenger. Well, the post-war economy was less supportive of traveling carnival exhibits, and Brooks retired to, I haven't a clue how to say this, Cusada? Cusada? It's Cusada. Cusada, Louisiana. Okay, thank you. But I I just want to bring something up. Right after the war is about the time we start seeing the fall of the, I use this term loosely, freak show as well. Because more people, people are injured. And, and, and it's, a, it's a lot of thing of, that's when we, as a society, begin going, okay, 
because of the atrocities of, of the Holocaust and stuff like that, perhaps displaying people and their abnormalities or injuries isn't such a good thing. Maybe. So you start seeing this sharp decline of freak shows and... Like a certain sensibility about yeah, things. Yeah, like traveling circuses. Or with sensitivity, I guess. Sensitivity. But you, you do see this decline shortly after World War II is when you see it. I'm curious why it would have happened after this war and not others. Well, because three million people were herded, displayed, and killed? Well, I mean, yeah, there's that. I don't know. That's an interesting correlation. I, I think, never thought I think of it that was before. a wake-up call for humanity going, um, we're committing some atrocities now. Yeah, I mean, could be. I mean, on the other hand, though, if you've ever done any research, a lot of, I mean, I don't know if it stands today, the people who worked at freak shows, if they had any kind of autonomy, at least, they kind of liked the fact that they could actually I mean, look at Chen Yang. They made a huge chunk of change of what they were doing. That's true. So, I mean, and as we are the, non-freaks, we can't really what say was what it name, was. the bearded lady? I cannot remember her name. I don't know. I don't remember. But from what I understand, she made quite a bit of money, too. Yeah, I mean, so I think there were some who... I mean, it's like a lot of things. Are they any more exploited than any other worker? I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ask anybody who's overworked and underpaid. Right. I don't know if we have the authority to discuss this. But no. at any rate, yes, people were thinking that, ooh, the horribly disfigured are not so fun to look at anymore. All right. Or even the mildly so. I don't know. People got are weird about stuff. So Which anyway... It, would, it wouldn't fly nowadays at all. Uh, probably not. At all. Not at all. But, sorry, go ahead. So Brooks himself retired to... Say it for me. Cushetta. It's Cushetta. Sounds like a cheese. It really does. It's Cushetta. He died there on April 1st. Ha <laughs> ha. Sorry, just April Fool's. 1950. <laughs> now, a popular account... I don't know which one. I could never find it. It just said... A yeah. popular account... Has it that in his will, Brooks left Hazel's mummy to his then 12-year-old great-nephew, Luther, I guess Brooks, I don't know, under certain conditions, revealing, I guess, that maybe he had some guilt for his crassly commercial treatment of her remains? The note in Hazel's makeshift casket is supposed to have read, and again, we have a direct quote that may or may not have actually existed, Right. This is Hazel. Take care of her because I haven't. I've shown her as a freak, and I realize now that she that that is not what she is. She must be one of a kind, and she is yours. Never sell her or show her as a freak, and never bury her. I don't know what he's supposed to do. Yeah. I must pay for my crime, and so must Hazel. Interesting. If you ever show her, you must donate all the money to charity, for I did not. End quote. Wow. Luther kept her in the family garage in Nashville, and later told the National Enquirer, apparently, that... I was the only kid in school who owned a mummy. It was like being a celebrity. Wow. Now, did Luther obey this kind of heavy-handed instruction? Not at all. No. No, nope, not at all. He exhibited <clears throat> Hazel the Mummy at school carnivals. <laughs> and after graduating... Mom! Mom! Can you put help? Can you help me put Hazel in the car? We're going to the carnival. And all these little kids. After we ride the carousel, can we look at the dead lady? Wow. I don't know. People, man. Right? So after graduating in 1958, he added a few carnival rides to his touring act. He sold the rides in 1965, but he kept her, which he continued to exhibit at schools and churches. By this point, the body who... I mean, she hadn't ever been really properly preserved allegedly which means her skin would have been paper 
probably. And, you know, and all oh, that travel, she was starting to show a little wear, like her nose had broken. If you look at pictures of her, it's sort of caved in. Oof. But the money he raised, he absolutely supported his family with. Eventually, his two daughters took to organizing exhibits and even, like, combed her hair and spritzed her with perfume, which I also am like, chemicals, that can't be good either. Mortuary science students at Vanderbilt made annual examinations of her and found arsenic in a tissue sample. I I don't know. There is like nothing, just this quick mention of arsenic and nothing else. Maybe that was part of her cocktail. I don't know. Eventually, eventually, the Brooks family stopped promoting her. I mean, maybe they did eventually get shamed into the, why are you doing this? Maybe they got In the 70s, yeah. So in 1974... Researchers connected to the Bessemer Hall of History tracked down the earthly remains of one of the city's most storied legends, Mm -hmm. being Hazel. They negotiated with the Brookses to bring Hazel down for a special exhibition in a vacant downtown building. (laughs) This was in October of 74. Good lord. Now, thousands of people paid 50 cents. I mean, that seems like... She hasn't gone up in value very much. Right. 50 cents a piece to file by her casket. And after the museum opened in the basement of the Bessemer Public Library, Hazel was brought back for additional exhibitions. Louise Tommy, now that name was just mentioned and never explained who the heck she was, okay. used dry cleaning fluid to clean mold from the body during one of these visits. Again, such stunning care. I mean, right. I don't know. Maybe that worked. I don't know. <laughs> Hazel was also brought to the Alabama State Fair and to the University of Alabama's Ferguson Center in 1975. Good lord. Her final appearances in Bessemer took place in October 1994 and 95. I'm like, are we just doing this sort of semi-annual thing? I was about thing? to say, I think, they, I think it's more of like they, A Halloween they thing, display maybe? it on Halloween or something, maybe? For two years. Yeah. The Brookses at this point, offered to donate the mummy to the museum, but oddly, the offer was declined. One would think that a museum would be like, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if anyone should be displaying a body, that would usually be the museums. Indeed. So, after a very long run, and an appearance in a National Geographic Channel documentary, the Mm -hmm. owner of Hazel Ferris's corpse finally had her cremated. Before that, though, an autopsy was performed for the documentary, and it indicated that the mummified woman had died of pneumonia. A finger was indeed shot off about a year before her death, and the procedure further determined that the body was replete with arsenic, but it appeared she had been immersed in it, not ingested it. So somebody, like, essentially just soaked her in arsenic. The theory is that Bessemer had no embalmers back in those days, so any preservation bath would have been done by amateurs. Yeah. Or people using what they have on hand. So without... He's like, uh, you know what? It seems that we're almost out of arsenic, baby. Can you go to the store and get some? Yeah, I mean, they did keep it around pretty regularly. Yeah. Good times, right? Right. Good times. Good times. So, without any substantial evidence, examiners determined that this whole elaborate story that we've been telling Mm -hmm. might have just been invented to fit her remains. Like, not that she was... The displaying part was concocted, but her her story of shot five men and all that. I feel sorry for the woman. I know! It's like, we don't actually know, was the story real? Was it not? We have no clue, but she was on the road. Almost befalls the line in which we covered the guy who kidnapped the corpse and was in love with her. Oh, yes. Uh, Tansler. Yeah. Elena Hoyos. Yeah. So, there are 
no real documents to support her story, sadly, but according to this, every Alabamian, which I don't know if that's true, believes the mummy to be Hazel Ferris, the infamous outlaw from Kentucky who drank a fatal cocktail to avoid arrest. So, again, this sort of legend surrounds her, kind of like Lavinia Fisher, kind of like some of these other people. Yeah. And there are many Alabamans. Alabamian? Do you put an I in there? I, I have don't know. no idea. It sounds I'm like Alabamian. Um, who have seen her either in the Hall of History or mm-hmm. on one of her many stops around the country. Now, curiously, there have been reports, dubious reports, no doubt, of lights going on and off in the building of the Hall of History and strange whistling noises. Mm-hmm. Visitors have also reported feeling ill at ease in this building. And even though Hazel's corpse has finally been laid to rest or put in a small jar somewhere, her spirit walks on giving visitors a new nightmare to keep them up at night. I mean, I think I would do the same thing. <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't know if people's spirits are really upset if you don't give them a, quote, proper burial. But I'm sure, like, being toted around on a car for 40 years has got to do something to your mentality you oh know, yeah in the afterlife it's like oh look i'm going on another road trip great oh you are so haunted <laughs> well we are almost at the end of yeah. another this is i guess sort of a short one but it wasn't very long just because there really isn't that much written about her like her, her life like they don't even name her parents her husband any of them yeah it's a good thing we know her name i guess i did notice that there is a book entitled Hazel the Outlaw Mummy, You've Never Witnessed a Woman Like Hazel Ferris, that's the entire title, by one Bob DeMoss. The book... Not Alexander DeMoss. No. But Bob DeMoss. D-E-M-O-S-S. This book is a whopping 62 pages, so it's likewise a little slim on information. Though he has 58 pages more than I do, so what can I say? I was about to say the Fantastic Beasts book is longer than that. (laughs) <laughs> well, and you know, some of them are going to be the title page, dedicated yeah. <laughs> that one book, What Men Know About Women. Or every page is blank. <laughs> anyway, we hope you enjoyed our little outing to Kentucky and Alabama and meeting Hazel, such as we know. After our Disney trip, we really thought we would skip a week, but I decided to see if we couldn't do like a little short episode. And here we are. Indeed. So, as always, look us up on Facebook and Patreon. Mm -hmm. We are Southern Fried Spooky. We are. I, however, am your Carolina girl. And I, however, am your Florida man. Thanks for joining us. Please give us some likes and five-star reviews. Share with your friends, relatives, frenemies, people in the coffee shop. We don't mind. Yeah, some guy you dropkicked last season. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be cool. What a weird instance to mention. Indeed. And for now, take care. Bye, Bye, y'all. Okay, when I die, I'm telling you this right now. Uh Uh-huh. I need you to mummify me and just sit me somewhere and put me in, like, little kind of, like, costumes. Oh, my gosh. So, like, I want to scare people. Yeah, I could see that. That But you have to keep the mustache. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you have to keep the mustache, period. Definitely.